Welcome to the Columbia Business School Ideas at Work podcast. In this three-part edition, Professor Oded Netzer explains how the ability to text mine social media platforms is ushering in a new era for marketing professionals. In part one, Netzer explains how complex text mining tools can convert consumers' public online conversations into measurable data in real time, revealing top-of-mind brand associations and other valuable insights that can help measure the success of marketing campaigns. One of the interesting things about social media and Web 2.0 is that most of the data is textual data which is a challenge for uh, researchers to try and use this data, particularly because we can think about this data on the one hand as an infinite size focus group where consumers are discussing products with firms as well as with one another. And really what we need to do is we need to go and scoop this very rich yet extremely messy data, extremely messy, A, because it is uh, all over the web, and B, because it is written in text format, and not only that it is written in text format, you can think about writing in social media as the wild west of writing. People could write any way they want, abbreviations, they could write with different spelling mistakes, no capitalization, which makes the task of actually making sense of the, out of this data quite difficult. And that's where we joined forces, researchers from marketing, that's myself and Jacob Goldenberg, as well as researchers from information system, that was Ronan Feldman and, and Moshe Fresco. We use text mining techniques in order to convert the very rich uh, yet messy data of social media into more countable data where we can actually try and, and derive insights. The next step was to post the text mining was to think about this data as semantic networks because you can think about the rich textual data as a network between words where words that appear together quite often in this discussion are closer in consumers' mind. And I think one of the biggest problems of the world of marketing is really the ability to show our eyes. Over the years, one of the ways to do it was to do tracking surveys, conducting surveys pre and post the marketing campaign. One of the nice things about social media data is that the data is not only rich in terms of being textual and the richness of the discussion, it's also data that is keep coming in real time. Every post has its own timestamp, which means we can track how the discussion has changed over time. And for the purpose of marketing campaigns, what that allows us to do is track if the discussion has moved in the direction that the marketeer has aimed for with the, with the marketing campaign. We went to Edmunds.com, the Sedan Cars form in Edmunds.com, and what we did is we downloaded the entire Sedan Car form. This was about 900,000 messages that we downloaded into our computers, and then we analyzed that data as our source of data to identify top-of-mind associations between cars, the data span from 2001 all the way till 2007, which allows us to study trends that have happened in this market for over the years. A campaign done by Cadillac started by us looking at the perceptual map of top-of-mind association of the different cars. And one of the interesting findings in this map was that Cadillac was, when we looked at the top-of-mind association perceptual map of the different cars in the market, 
Cadillac was the only American brand that was close to the luxury import brands being BMW, Lexus, Infiniti, Mercedes, and, and so on, and further away from the other classic American brand being Buick, Oldsmobile, Pontiac, and so on and so forth. And that was surprising to us and interesting for us. Right in the middle of our data period, end of 2003, start of 2004, Cadillac did a huge campaign, actually $4.3 billion campaign. And the goal of the campaign was exactly that. The goal of the campaign was to push the positioning of Cadillac away from being a classic American car to being a rival to the import luxury cars. So the question we, we wanted to ask ourselves is, were they able to move the needle with this very expensive campaign? And the answer was yes. In 2001, Cadillac was much more likely to be mentioned with the classic American brand than with the import luxury brands. By right around the time of the campaign, 2004, what we found was that the gap has been closed. Cadillac is as likely to be mentioned with American brands as they were with luxury brands. And by the end of our data period, which was around 2007, Cadillac was already more likely to be mentioned with the luxury brands than it was with the more classic American brands. The other question we asked ourselves was, can we test the same thing with sales data? So we obtained data from J.D. Power about car trading. And what we found was that the gap has not been closed yet, meaning even by the end of our data, still people are more likely to trade in their American brands for Cadillac than their luxury brands but the gap has been closing, suggesting that the campaign was able to move the needle on top of mind association. What it also told us was that, to some extent, the activity we saw on social media is an early indicator for what we saw later on in terms of sales. In part two, Professor Oded Netzer discusses how text mining can offer healthcare providers, pharmaceutical firms, and even regulators a window into patients' experiences, helping to identify pressing health issues. One of the interesting things about using social media for health purposes is that there is a lot of data out there. Consumers are very enthusiastic about talking about these issues. They want to share their health experience. People are often writing about the triad of a drug, a physician, and a patient. And what happened in the physician office, for example, the physician recommended me, the physician took me off that drug, the physician switched me from that drug to another drug. They're trying to learn from one another how to cope with the disease and how to cope with taking different medications. Patients tend to report different side effects on social media and consult with others to see if they've also experienced these type of uh, side effects. And there were several uh, very interesting insights that we've, we've learned from looking at that. One of the difficulties, particularly with pharmaceutical drugs, is that clinical trials tend to have very small samples. There's only so many patients that we can test the drug on, and that leads to a problem where if you're looking, for example, for a drug-drug interaction, in a clinical trial with 100, 200 people, there will be only so many drug-drug or disease-disease type of interactions that will be able to see the impact of any particular drug on all of these possibilities. One of the nice things of, of social media is that we have an infinite size focus group of people that have had experience with taking any type of pharmaceutical drug, which should allow us to identify 
snapshots of a side effects, for example, that people experience with the drug as well as trends over time. For example, if we take someone with both diabetes and heart diseases, do we find different side effects that different drugs have versus people with only heart disease or diabetes? The way we know that, because people, again, often write in the form, they say, I have a heart disease, I have a, a diabetes, I took this drug, and that was the effect of it. As you can imagine, the FDA is very interested in listening to social media and understanding some of these side effects that consumers are reporting. Of course, the fact that a side effect appears on social media does not mean that truly medically the side effect is related to the drug. It could be, for example, that the negative effect is due to the disease itself and the patient is simply attributing it to the drug. For that reason, the Drug companies are often not very enthusiastic about listening to social media because, by law, if they identify such side effects in social media, whether they are truly associated with the drug or not, they are required to investigate them. In Part 3, Professor Oded Netzer discusses the advantages and limitations of text mining and explains the science behind the semantic networks that the practice is based on. I think there are a few learnings there for companies dealing with text mining. I've been used to work with numbers over the years and suddenly uh, having this opportunity of working with text, we need to convert text into numbers. And for that, we use the method of text mining. It's a method that is evolving. We are getting better and better in it. But I think it is important to realize that the, tax, that the task is extremely, extremely uh, difficult. Only actually through Working on this topic over the past few years, I've learned how complex the human mind is in reading. For example, if I give you a very simple sentence of, I bought a BMW because it's a great car. Every person, as long as they understand what BMW is, would fully understand this sentence. What many text mining softwares would do is they would say, well, let's relate it to the closest noun. In this case, BMW, and in fact, for the sentence I just mentioned, that would be totally fine. However, if I use the sentence, I bought BMW rather than Audi because it's a better car, now the closest noun is Audi, making the inference of the text miner totally opposite from what I actually said. Every second grader reader would fully understand this sentence as long as they understand what BMW and Audi are. So what I've learned over this process is that a kid who's reading for only two years already reads much better than the best text mining software we have out there. We are getting better, and there are ones that do use linguistics and try to understand the uh, linguistics of the sentence in order to understand these uh, associations. But the task, again, is not easy, particularly when it comes to things like sentiment, emotions, and so on. If I want to study sentiment, meaning positive versus negative sentiment of the sentence, the word high, if I'm talking about stocks, that's good. If I'm talking about blood pressure, that's bad. So... Just saying, is high good or bad, I don't know, depends on the context, and that's why the best tools out there are still tailored for particular applications. For example, if we are going to study text mining in the health context, we often need to tailor the text miner to the particular application to understand what is positive, what is negative. Once we text mine the data, we are left with a metrics of, and of coherence of words. For example, cars and attributes used to describe the car, cars and other cars, drugs and side effects that were mentioned with the drugs. 
And one could think about this matrix of co-occurrence as a semantic network. Why a semantic network? This actually comes from a research in psychology around associative networks. And the idea behind this research in psychology around associative networks is that when one node in our brain is activated, this spreads activation to other nodes in our brain. And it spread activation to the most closely associated nodes in the brain. So, for example, if one mentions Toyota Corolla, this may spread activation to the closest nodes in my brain, which could be maybe my mother, because my mother has a Toyota Corolla, to Lexus, because I know that Lexus and Toyota are owned by the same company, and maybe to Honda Civic, because it's the closest competitor. And for that reason, if we do observe in text, two cars appearing together, this is most likely a measure of similarity. Now, you may say, well, why similarity? I mean, a person may have said Honda Civic is very different from Toyota Corolla, but the fact that the person cared to compare these two cars tell us already that they were associated in their network. And this, again, comes from this a psychology notion of associative network. Uh, you, you probably wouldn't find a person say, Honda Civic is very different from Lamborghini, it doesn't even make sense making the comparison that's so far in, in one's often mind. If we think about this example of Cadillac and how our study allowed us to track the effectiveness of the marketing campaign, and in fact, in this particular case, seeing that Cadillac was able to move the needle in moving Cadillac away from being perceived as the classic American brand and being perceived more of a luxury brand, I think if we abstract a little bit from that to the more general domain of using social media to track effectiveness of marketing campaigns, one of the advantages of Web 2.0 of, of social media that it provided a platform for consumers to interact, to interact with one another, and some of these discussions among consumers are about products and about brands. And the opportunity it offered to firms and to, to organizations, to regulators, is an opportunity to look at, to listen to, to have a window into these discussions. These are not prompted by a survey by the firm. These are authentic discussions that are prompted by consumers' willingness to share and talk to one another about these products. And really all that the company or the organization needs to do is scoop this information and distill it into insights. To learn more about Professor Netzer's research, visit www.gsb.columbia.edu backslash ideas at work. Thank you for listening to the Columbia Business School Ideas at Work podcast.